So I have to ask you, has there ever been a big oops moment that you've had to try <laughs> yeah. to figure out how to make it work? Yeah. So there's always a lot of little oops moments like, oh, we have an extra trail here. So there was one point, which I think it was about an acre of corn that maybe not quite an acre, half an acre where my husband was like transplanting corn plants into. So, yeah. <laughs> you can't survive without it. It plays a part in almost everything we bring into our homes. It's agriculture. I'm Amy Flugsopt. In my 15-year career as a broadcast journalist, I've traveled the country, won awards, and have told the stories of everyone from presidential candidates to the neighbor next door. Now, I'm getting back to my farm girl roots to connect you back to where your food, fuel, fabric, and all of those items in between originated. The farm. Inside the Bullseye is a one-of-a-kind conversation that's designed especially for you, the consumer. Broadcasting from my home studio in Madison, Wisconsin, I'm Amy Flugsopt. Trust me, this isn't your grandfather's way of farming. Welcome to this edition of Inside the Bullseye. First of all, I want to thank all of you for following along with this conversation. We are in week five now, and I, I can't believe it. Time is just flying by, and I'm just so excited to share with all of you that we are now at 800 downloads and counting. That is just incredible. So a huge, huge thank you for all of your support. We sh we truly appreciate it here at Inside the Bullseye. And if you've enjoyed listening, please, please tell your friends and your family to join that conversation as well. Secondly, you can probably tell just by listening, please excuse the extra deep voice today. My 18-month-old daughter is learning how to share at school, and uh, she's learning to share germs as well. So this mama is nursing a nice little cold this week. So the good thing, though, we are virtual, so the show can go on. As we say goodbye to those last warm days of summer, fall ushers in a lot of fun activities, which typically brings us to the farm. Things like apples, pumpkins, and yes, one of my very favorites, Corn Mazes. In just a quick Google, the organization Corn Mazes America estimates that in 1998, there were between 50 and 100 corn mazes in the U.S., and then in 2000, that just exploded to more than 800. And now, let's be real, there are just too many to count. It's just such a fun fall experience. So while you may be enjoying an hour or so wandering through one of them, the work that goes into creating a corn maze is quite extensive. Here to pull back the curtain and give us some of those fun details is Angie Trinan, one of the owners of Trinan Farm Corn Maze and Pumpkin Patch in Lodi, Wisconsin. Angie, thanks so much for joining the conversation here at Inside the Bullseye. It's great. Great to be here. Can't wait to talk to you about all the things. All the things. You have so many things happening out on your farm. But before we dive into to those creations that you bring to life year after year, I want to give you guys a huge congratulations on being nominated for the U.S. Today 10 Best Competition in the Corn Maze category. What an honor. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, so we, we did come in number fifth in the nation. Um, uh, the voting just ended. So, um, yeah. So that's really exciting. It's you know, it's really fun to be, um, 
you know, welcoming visitors from all over and just people who are interested in it from all over too. And uh, yeah, so we're excited about that. That is quite an honor because I mean, like I said, I feel like there's a corn maze in every community these days. So to be one of the 10 best in the country, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, and we have to keep, uh, keep thinking about like what makes us a good corn maze and what makes us uh, popular with people. So every, every year we're, we're always kind of having that thought process of like, you know, what are we going to add or, you know, what are, how are we going to get people excited to come? Well, I'll be sure to link uh, those finalists for the 10 best corn mazes in the show notes so our listeners can see if there's maybe one in their area as well. Just to give uh, our listeners an idea, there's there's one in Kentucky and Maine and Indiana and Pennsylvania, just to name a few. So uh, be sure to check out the show notes to see if you have one in your community. But Angie, let's just dive right in. Tell me about your your family farm. It's uh, it's pretty special. It's it's a few generations deep. Tell me the background. Yeah. So this is my husband's family farm. So it has been in his family since 1921, which is makes it 100 years in, in his family this year. Um, so I think his, uh, you know, I think his grand- grandparents and great grandparents would have been really interested to, to see what has been happening on the farm, you know, in 2021. Um, so my husband grew up here. He was one of 10 kids. And he was the one who basically took over the farm and was farming corn, soybeans, hay, that kind of thing. And then in right around 1991, 92, he started putting in pumpkins, like a half acre pumpkins. He happened to have draft horses. He he likes horses. He had draft horses. So he started off by just saying, hey, come on out, get a wagon ride, get a pumpkin, you know, and um, just advertise locally and people would come bring their kids and so forth. So I met him in 1994, and um, I was, I'm a veterinarian, so I was just practicing medicine. But was, So the pumpkin patch was this little fall thing that we did, you know, a little extra money. It was kind of fun. But then um, we had our first child in 1998, and we started to think, like, you know, should we expand our fall business? You know, would that be something that we would um, both work, work on? Um, so we started thinking about like, well, what else could people do? What, what else is a fall fun thing? And we, we had heard about corn mazes. There was one, um, in, uh, a few in Wisconsin. So we went to go, (laughs) to go visit one. We happened to visit one, um, in the Mount Horeb era area and it was August and it was like 90 degrees. So we're like, oh, let's check it out. Let's see if, you know, if that's something we want to put in. And oh my God, it was a nightmare. We were so hot. My husband, as a far- farmer who's grown crops all his life, he's walking around. He's like, why would anyone pay <laughs> to do this? And I'm like, I I hope they would. So even though we were really hot and sticky and it wasn't actually very much fun, um, we thought, okay, well, you know, why don't, why don't we do that? And we thought that maybe then the people who came out to get their pumpkins would also, you know, pay a little extra to do the corn maze. But it actually, it was kind of funny. This is not what we expected. So the people who were coming out to get the pumpkins were typically families with younger children or maybe grandparents, you know, taking the grandkids out. But a lot of times they got to be a little older, like middle school or, you know, teenage age. They didn't, they didn't bring the kids anymore. So, so there'd be families who would stop coming and we'd be like, no, you should still come. And they would be like, well, our kids are not little. So, um, 
So it turned out that when we put the corn maze in, that attracted the families with older kids, the teenagers, adults looking for something to do with other, you know, friends or dates, that kind of thing. So it wasn't even the same like demographic as the the little kids with a pumpkin patch. So that was really interesting, and we the, the maze did quite well um, beyond our expectations. So then that started to. Like, okay, well, you know, what else would people like to do? You know, playgrounds, um, you know, just games for them to do, a, a way for them to stay, um, you know, out in the country for, for a few hours. And, uh, you know, then eventually it started to get really, uh, really time consuming. So I left my veterinary practice, but then I was like, well, okay, so if I'm leaving this career, this, this agritourism business is going to be one of the premier attractions in the state. So I just you know, had a goal like, well, it's not going to be this little thing. It's going to be a really good one. So that was kind of the mindset. And it has, we've, we've grown it throughout the years. Um, you know, but we've had kind of a philosophy of like, we want it to be large enough to support our family, but we're not looking to have, you know, a 300 employees or, you know, expand in a way that my husband and I couldn't really handle it. Now, if we had children who were older and who might, or other families who might want to have wanted to, you know, also join in, um, and then we would have potentially expanded it to support other families. Um, but our, our sons are kind of young. Like right now our oldest is, um, 23 and our youngest is 19. So they're, kind of young to take over the business um so so we again we've just kept it at a at a manageable level for us we've had anywhere from like uh up to 60 employees um working part-time on the weekends yeah yeah and in our busiest busiest times so it's just really intense but it's a lot it's like a lot of farming um that my husband was used to is that like you know it's kind of like that make hay while the sun shines kind of idea like you have to be super busy over the summer and like 100 percent of our time is devoted to it throughout september and october but then you know like after harvest you know just like any farming you can rest and fix things and kind of regroup and you know recover your mental state throughout the winter <laughs> And then you start up again and, you know, get ready to do it all again. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's both tourism and farming. It's got aspects of both of those. So, so that's what we do. I, I, I want you to take me back to that moment when you decided you were going to do this corn maze. And clearly it may seem like an easy concept. I don't know. I, I, what were you guys feeling? Like, were you intimidated? Did you just, were you just like all in, we're just going to do it and figure it out as we go? Did you have help? What was that process like? So for, because we already had a fall like business, it was small. It was like, come out and have a wagon ride and get a pumpkin. But we were already accustomed to having people we didn't know come out to the farm. And I think that's something that's really, you know, important. There's a lot of farm families who might say, oh, well, maybe we should add something agritourism related. And you don't always know how you're going to feel about strangers at your farm. Um, You have to keep them safe. You have to be okay with them. Sometimes doing things you can't predict. Uh, You have to spend a lot of time keeping things clean and, you know, and 
safe for them. Um, but we already kind of knew that, that we were okay with that. So when we put the corn maze in, um, we did have to outlay, you know, some investment in that. Um, we had gone to some conferences, which were really, really helpful. There's the agritourism, you know, industry has conferences. But it was kind of a, uh, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm a little risk averse. So I was kind of just hoping we'd break even that first season, you know, like with the cash outlay. I mean, insurance was also extremely expensive and, and so forth. And, and we did, you know, we made money that first year. Um, we, our expectations were fairly low. Um, the other thing that we did was we didn't invest in a tremendous amount of infrastructure right away until we started to know that we could have a good cash flow. You know, like, I mean, one path is to build, you know, put up some buildings and, you know, put in like a kitchen and, you know, do a lot of things like that. I don't know, maybe it's just because I didn't have a business background. I was just like, no, I think we need to kind of pay as we go and not take on a lot of debt. You know, so that's, that's a, again, that's the calculus you do with any farms, like how much do you invest, how much do you borrow, um, and so forth. So, um, yeah, so we, we actually just, I mean, we did just jump in and we had a designer do the maze design at that point. Um, my husband and um, a couple of, like, we had like two employees at that point on the weekends. Uh, they cut the corn maze and um, we had a few more, like, play around stuff. And then, and then, oh, I know what happened. <laughs> it was so funny. So the State Journal actually did an article on us that very first year and took a bunch of, um, put a bunch of color photos right on the front page of the State Journal. It was, you know, slow news day or whatever. So we didn't really know that they were going to put us on the front page. And what they didn't do was like list any days or hours or anything like that. And so it was kind of funny because people just like the Associated Press actually picked it up. And so people from everywhere just started showing up. And we, you know, luckily we lived here. So we, we let them in. And that like first weekend, we didn't have any employees lined up. It was just me and my husband. Like I would be selling tickets and he would be um, handling the maze maps and everything. And in fact, I remember that very first Labor Day, we weren't even planning to be open, but people just started showing up. And it was our son's third birthday. And I was like, okay. So I gave him this little tractor. He got to open it. And he literally played in the dirt at my feet all day long while I checked people in and Alan gave them maps. I remember not having like any food. I, I couldn't really take a bathroom break. It was, it was really, I mean, in hindsight, it was kind of a great day. It was really funny that that had happened. Um, so we got off to a really good start with some publicity that way and people, you know, starting to come. So then we, yeah, it was kind of trial by fire. Because, but okay, we're doing this and okay, we can handle a, a crowd. I mean, it's not a crowd that we would even call a crowd nowadays because, you know, we would have thousands of people on a weekend nowadays, but um, that was, yeah, that was our opening weekend and that was 2001. And then on September 11th in 2001 was our very first corn maze field trip ever. So it's a day that's kind of like burned in our memory because we were, we'd let the bus driver come on inside and see the coverage of. 9-11 and then these kids were you know in the, in the maze having a good time as our very first field trip we've done and so you know I just remember that pretty well wow so there was no easing into this business for you, you just <laughs> kind of launched right in and yeah just, it's like we can do been, it <laughs> uh, great ever since yeah it's uh you know it's ups and downs with weather is probably the biggest thing you know again like any farming you know you can't do anything about it and we've We've had, most falls have had um, 
you know, decent weather in October. Wisconsin usually has decent October weather. And we would have like a day, like a weekend day or, or two that we might lose to rain. But in 2017, 18, a little bit in 19, we had so much rain, so much rain that yeah. we, first of all, you know, just people didn't come because it was like raining on the weekends. And then, oh my God, the, the mud, the mud in the maze. I remember one of those years, <laughs> the mud in the parking lot and the mud in the maze were really atrocious. And, you know, I, we, we tried, <laughs> but oh my God, it was so muddy. And so, uh, but this past year was really nice weather. So we're hoping, hoping for not a lot of rain. <laughs> So let's talk about planning. I mean, how do you even start to, you know, pull these ideas together? Because these aren't just, you know, your typical little like maze. I mean, these are works of art. When you get that drone up and you look down on the cornfield, I mean, these are just gorgeous. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, so I, I, I guess I love that creative part of it. It's, it's one, of the, one of the things that keeps me in this business because if it was just like all business and, you know, just like the, the hiring and the, you know, accounting and whatever, that's, I mean, that's fine, but it's, it's not that interesting. I just really need something that keeps my interest. So I love the creative part of, um, so it's the beginning of the year where beginning of our season would, or it's May when we really start to go, okay, what's it going to be like? And I, I love that time period because it's a whole thought process for me of like, all right, what's the maze theme going to be? So what will the design be? What are we going to offer that's new? Or what, like, what do our customers need in this year? Um, and that was really like, um, last year, especially, I spent a lot of time going, what do people need now that we can offer them? Um, but we do that every year. It's like, you know, our, our business kind of evolves. Um, like right now we probably are attracting more adults than little kids. Just adults need to get out and do fun things. <laughs> but, it, but anyway, like, uh, yeah, yeah, get outside. Um, so when I designed the maze, it's kind of funny. People always ask like, oh, you know, do you know what next year is going to be? But I have this kind of process that has worked for me and this is how it goes. So my husband and people just ask me constantly, like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? And so even up until the end of May, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I have a file of ideas. I've got some, some ideas that are floating around, but when my husband plants some corn, which is usually at the very beginning of June, I have about 10 days before he needs the design to start cutting it into the field. So that's when I actually literally, literally start my design process. And I've just done this for this whole time. And the reason it works for me is that this is a concentrated effort. It takes me about that full 10 days to get the design done because I have to sit down and be like, oh my God, I got to get this done. What's it going to be? Um, <laughs> and every year I start off with this idea like, oh, I don't have any more ideas. I've used all the good ideas. There's just no more good ideas. I'm never going to be able to make this design in time. And so I have a day or two of just despair. <laughs> but then I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, then I look at my files and I, I honestly, it's just such a, it's a visual process. You know, I need to look at, figure out what it's going to look like for people. So I'm just kind of like, surfing the web, the kind of like looking at images and ideas. And it has to kind of fit in with the year too, like what's in the zeitgeist. Um, 
So, like, for instance, in t last year in 2020, I was actually going to do a wolf. I had kind of thought, like, oh, it would be kind of cool. It would be, like, Norse mythology or, or Little Red Riding Hood. Or, or there's, there was a, an initiative to bring back the gray wolf into Colorado that was up for a referendum. And I'm like, oh, that would be kind of cool. We could tie that all in. But when we got to May 2020, I'm like, oh, that feels really dark. You know, like a predator. Ugh. And uh, I'm like, we need something that is you know, uplifting and inspiring and hopeful. So that year, um, I was like, I came upon the idea of doing a water bear. And a water bear is a almost microscopic. So they're like half a millimeter long. They live in almost any environment on earth. They're one of the most resilient and tough animals on the planet. You, you can, they're hard to kill. I mean, they can go into this state that they just protects them. They've even been taken out into the vacuum of outer space. And they're, they're like, they come back, they're like, well, ah, we're fine. So it was a, it was, I, uh, when I came upon that idea, I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect uh, for 2020. Like the theme was resilience. So then once I had, had that idea, I'm like, okay, now I sit down, I work on the design. I, I do it in a graphic design program. It's really, I really enjoy it. I'm alone in my office, just being creative. And uh, during that time I'm designing the maze, I'm also thinking about like, well, how are we going to talk to customers about this? What are, what's going to, you know, interest them and delight them? And how is my, how's my staff who are often younger going to talk to people they don't know about this. That's that's really important that there's something that um, they can kind of hold on to as far as conversation goes. So the water bear worked out great for that. So by the time my husband is standing at my office door going, I need the design today. We've got the maze ready to cut. I, I'm like, okay, here it is. It's, you know, I didn't think I'd be able to do it, but I did. <laughs> so, so then he and the crew take it into the field and cut it when the corn is just a few inches tall. It's all cut into the field. By the time it is about a foot tall, so by the end of June, it's it's, it's in the field. So now, I've I've read that you don't use GPS to cut this. Right, like you go out and hand stake and mark yeah. and like do this all by hand. How in the world do you do this? <laughs> well, so we've done it. This is how we've done it since the very first maze. So we've gotten pretty good at it. So so like. Corn mazes around the country, um, you know, using technology, GPS technology can be, you know, is really helpful. Like these corn maze companies that will um, cut your design and cut your mazes for you. They'll they'll bring a, you know, fancy GPS tractor and like feed your design into it with like AutoCAD or something like that. And then just drive the tractor around the field, cutting the paths. Um, and they can do it. It doesn't have to be done when it's really short. They can do it when it's taller. And that's how they're managed to cut like 200 mazes or whatever a year. We've always been hesitant to do that, mostly because our designs are very complicated. And we're like, well, what if, what if it's not accurate enough? You know, the, the other thing is like, it's, it's kind of a fun process. Our staff and my husband do it. It's also something we can talk about like, Hey, we cut it by hand. Um, so what they do is they, he, he's, he plants the corn in rows going two ways. So per, per, rows perpendicular to each other. So he's essentially planting a grid in the field. And you know, when corn um, first comes up, you can really see the rows. The plants are pretty close together. So you can look at it and you can, in our field, you'd walk out and go, oh, look at that grid growing in the field. So then he'll stake out like every, you know, 60 feet, he'll put a row of stakes. And so basically when I print the plan out on paper with a grid overlaid on top of it, the grid corresponds to the grid that's growing in the field. 
So the crew can actually just take the plan, um, find a point on the plan, find the corresponding point in the field, mark on the ground with a little bit of paint where the trail needs to be, and then they, they cut the trail out with a tiller, tractor and tiller, uh, five feet wide. Um, and then it's all done before it's you know knee high, and then it just grows into the pattern. So like magic. <laughs> like magic. Yeah, yeah it like sounds magic. a lot like magic. <laughs> I have no idea how you guys do that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it takes them about, you know, like a week or a little less to actually cut it into the field. It depends on how my design, how like, how easy it is to cut. Like if I have a bunch of circles where I can just give them the center and they can pull a radius or a lot of straight lines um, or um, things like that, geometric figures, um, it's pretty easy for them. In mazes where I have a lot of free-flowing organic designs, they can either be harder or easy. Like, if it doesn't matter exactly where the trail goes, they can kind of, you know, eyeball it. But if it matters where um, a curve goes, like when we did the cranes in 2018, it was really important that those cranes be precisely like I had drawn them. They ca they couldn't just fudge any of it. So they, were, they weren't super excited about cutting <laughs> that maze, but they did fine. So... Yeah. So, so I have to ask you, has there ever been a big oops moment that you've had to try yeah. to figure out how to make it work? Yeah. So there's always a lot of little oops moments like, oh, we have an extra trail here. It's fine. <laughs> you know, or this whole section is shifted over by 10 feet or 15 feet. And a lot of times I'm like, all right, I'll adjust the map. It'll look a little weird, but no one is going to really notice. Like, but, but like one time I almost spelled Trinan wrong. I, <laughs> I printed out the design and I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I know my name, but I kind of forgot an E or something like that. And luckily when I handed the plan to the crew, um, one of you know one of the kids like knew how to spell our name. He's like, "That's weird. Did you want your name spelled different?" And I'm like, Wait a minute. <laughs> but there was, uh, yeah, there was a few place times um, where it, it's one thing if you um, forget a trail, that's easy, you fix it. But if you cut a trail where it really should not be, um, yeah, it, then you have to transplant corn, um, which is not not great. Um, it's it's hard to do. Um, you can't just replant it. It's too late for that. Um, so there was one point, which I think it was about an acre of corn that maybe not quite an acre, half an acre where my husband was like transplanting corn plants into. So, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't happen as much anymore. I think we're a little more savvy about like how to make sure those errors don't come up, but you know, things happen. So I, I have to ask you this question. I hope it's not too personal, but <laughs> I'm just thinking, working with my husband, if I told my husband I had this very intricate design and this mm -hmm. is what I want, has, has your husband ever pushed back on you? Is like, I'm oh, absolutely not doing this. Every year, every year. Yeah. <laughs> so usually I hand him the design and he's like, what? You know, <laughs> like, and uh, I mean, this year he was, he was a little bit more like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. Thank you for not making it super hard. Um, but often he's like, we can't cut this part. Like this part, these trails are too close together or whatever. And we have to negotiate then about whether he's going to try or not try to do that. And usually, usually we can make it work. I remember the first, one of the first times one of my sons, um, was helping to cut the maze. Um, he came to a part where the trail was kind of weird. It was just hard to cut and 
they didn't think it really mattered, but I'm like, no, design-wise, it has to matter. And so my son was like, I can't believe, I can't believe she did that. Why did she do that? And my my <laughs> husband was like, it was a nice bonding moment with our son. Because he, he was like, yeah, I don't know. Why does she do that? And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's like like many farms, you know, working with your spouse, it has its ups and downs. But um, we've we've gotten... We've gotten through it like 21 times. <laughs> so, I mean, our track record's pretty good. Yeah, the joys of uh, being a part of a family business, right? You yes, just gotta family work businesses it out. Are, they're different. You can't just like, <laughs> you can't go home and like complain about your coworkers. No, you can't. Because you exactly your coworkers right. are right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we, since we just talked about 21 years of, of mazes, this is your 21st maze that you'll be putting mm -hmm. in this season. Um, tell us about this maze. What is what is the inspiration for it? it, it it's pretty unique and uh, a little deep when you start to think of the meaning of it. Yeah, yeah. So a lot. I think a lot of times what happens is that I just I have to find a maze theme that will keep me interested for an entire season because yeah, you know, I have to really devote pretty much like all my time to this for for several months, and so I'm not going to do a de design that I get bored with or get bored talking about because I got to talk about it a lot um, and my employees need to talk about it a lot. So this year um, the maze is Schrodinger's cat and other thought experiments because I am such a nerd. I love physics. I love math. I love anything science-y. I love history. I mean it's just like I, I'm so interested in a lot of things. So um, Schrodinger's cat is also I mean, you can also describe it as an adorable cat sitting in a box, as cats like to do. And we have got yes, our farm do. cats. Our farm cats love people, and they're kind of a feature here at the farm. So I'm like, oh, we're honoring our farm cats. They're sitting in a it. box. They're super cute. However, it's also Schrodinger's cat, which is like nerdy people are like, oh, my God, Schrodinger's cat. So <laughs> Schrodinger was a physicist um, who was working around the time of Einstein. And Schrodinger's cat is a thought experiment that kind of illustrates some of the strange properties of quantum physics, which is basically the physics of really small subatomic particles, so smaller than atoms, like quarks and muons and gluons and all kinds of stuff like that. It's just super weird. It's our intuitions about how the world works do not are not you know valid in that world. So here's a short here's the short version. So this is Schrodinger's kind of like thought experiment. So you so there's a cat sealed in a box. And there is a source of radiation that is shooting out particles. And depending on what's, whether it shoots out a particle that hits this vial of poison, the cat may be killed by the poison. Um, but you don't know because the cat's in the box. So if the cat was like a subatomic particle, because they do such weird things, there could be a time period where that cat was both dead and alive simultaneously, you know, literally dead and alive in two states at once but then when you open the box the cat you your your active observation affects the experiment and the cat is either dead or alive not both that's kind of a butchering the actual explanation so if you're a physicist listening please please don't yell at me <laughs> um, 
Um, but anyway, so like lots of people. In fact, my my biggest fear was that like a physicist was going to walk in when we opened and be like, nope, that's not even right at all. Sure enough, <laughs> nuclear physicist shows up on our first weekend. <laughs> Luckily, she was a family friend, and she wasn't. She was. She didn't yell at me about it. However, we okay. So it's Schrodinger's cat. But also, we started thinking about other thought experiments, which are a little bit easier to describe, and some of them we've all heard of. One of the most famous ones is. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Yeah. And, you know, it sounds kind of like trivial, but then you start to think, okay, well, you know, what's the definition of a sound? And does, does a sound just mean waves in, you know, air, like vibrations in the air? Or does a conscious being have to be around? This is really deep. You're getting yeah, really deep yeah. on me here. So, <laughs> so we have seven classic thought experiments at wow. each of the, it, so in the maze, so in literally within the maze. So for customers to, as they're completing their map, which is a little puzzle we have them put together, they go, they navigate to these seven different locations. And um, so at each one is, is a different thought experiment. One is called Ship of Theseus. Another is the trolley problem. One is the infinite monkeys one. And so it's just we like talking to people about interesting things and people are our visitors are typically people who like to talk about interesting things or like to see interesting things so that's kind of the whole theme of the maze this year i mean this year seems a little more um hopeful than last year in general so sure. we, we didn't have to <laughs> We didn't have to do another water bear, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, water bears all, all until everything's over. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 this helps my staff to be able to talk about something to customers, even if they don't know them. And also helps me to be, you know, talking to nerdy people about nerdy things. <laughs> so. I, I love the story behind it. So if you, if you want to go to the nerdy side of it, you can. If you want to be like me and think of it as a barn cat, a cute barn cat in just mm -hmm. a box. Yeah, you can do it's that a really, as well. It's a really cute cat. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah, if people like... want to see what it looks like, head on over to Inside the Bullseye. We have a photo for you there to check it out. It, it is so intricate. And that's that's what I just, I, I can't get over the detail that you guys are able to put into these corn mazes, like I said. And they are all hand cut. That is just amazing. No GPS. Yeah, we think of it as like a really large work of art. Um, yes. So we, we kind of describe it as like part art installation, part social experiment, because we are kind of experimenting on our customers to see what we can get them to do, <laughs> to like fool them and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, part just like fun on the farm, um, being outside in the country and so forth. So, yeah, we pride ourselves on the detail that, our maps that we give customers are so detailed and so accurate because sometimes we'll, there'll be like a little part on the map where there's like a really small trail and you know, surrounded by, um, and then like, there'll be like three stalks of corn in between the trails and that people will come out and be like, Oh my God, it looks, you know, it's so accurate. And I'm like, yes, that's, that's what we do. Oh, that's incredible. So, so I have to ask you probably maybe the hardest question. Can you pick a favorite out of 21 years? Can you pick a favorite? Favorite corn maze? Yes. Well, um, I I have two favorites, but okay. um, one of my favorites is the Killer Baby Unicorn. I think it's probably <laughs> most people's favorite. Um, yes. I mean, it's a it's a baby unicorn, and it's a killer. And there were kittens and narwhals and um, a baby rhinoceros. Like all, it, it was a really fun maze. It was really like 
brought everybody out of the woodwork because like you know whoever likes unicorns they all came and it was a fun <laughs> it was a really fun year my staff would put these unicorn masks on and like dance around and so it was really hilarious wow. um, That's fun. but my other favorite maze is the gecko maze that we did in 20. 10. Um, it had a lot of mathematical concepts in it. It was a big like Fibonacci number kind of thing, Fibonacci spiral, um, and MC Escher type um, tessellating forms in it. And so it was really, really nerdy. Um, so that was really cool too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I don't know. I don't know if I could pick a favorite. I think the ba the killer baby unicorn may be one of my favorites. I was scrolling through your website mm -hmm. uh, before we hopped on this call together, and that one is 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 priceless. I think. Yeah, I think like yeah, every year as we do a, a new maze, it's my favorite at that point, of course, because it's sure. kind of new. But uh, in you know, in hindsight, I mean, I loved all the Greek mythology we, we did because that was really fun to uh, talk to people about. Um, sometimes we did little stories like the fox and the grapes and the elephant's child, and then we had a little we had stuffed animals the kids would hold while while we told them the story and stuff. So that was Aww. pretty fun. Um, yeah. So you know, as I plan, those are the kind of things I'm thinking about. I'm like, oh, are we going to have a little story we tell? Are we going to like, you know, like have people hold the stuffed animals you know what are we going to do that kind of is kind of fun and special and weird so the next thing that comes to mind is is your season is is fairly short you know what august to november ish right yeah yeah right basically september and october i mean we, we're yeah. open through mid-november but the you know it's it's not really well attended you know weather gets iffy in november and you, and you started kind of people kind of forget like oh we're doing fall things still so yes. it's worth it for us to be open. So, yeah. So with, with that, with that short of a season and all the work that goes into this, what do you do with the maize then at the end of the season? <laughs> well, we combine it. So we'll harvest the corn in the maize. It's, it's because it's grown in a grid. It's not necessarily the most efficient way to grow corn, but it's got, we got really good soil there. And so the, the yield on it is actually surprisingly decent in many years. Sometimes it doesn't dry down very well. This is like for you farmer listeners, I guess, but because we're using a long season corn, um, because we're the most important thing for the corn maize is uh, strong stalks that don't start and leaves that don't start to dry down. Um, they'll be, they'll be killed by the frost. So then they'll start to kind of get dry, but they're not going to end their life cycle because we, we just need it to stay up and, and, um, you know, it's looking as good and thick as possible through the beginning of November. So that means that some of the, sometimes the corn is not dry enough to harvest. And then we have to kind of like sell it for someone to put in the silo or what couple years we had to let it stand over the winter. Um, so that was kind of weird. The raccoons and deer who lived around here were so excited. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. A tasty little yeah. treat for them. Yeah. What, uh, you know, obviously you have had, uh, who knows how many people come through, you know, and visit mm -hmm. your farm over the last 21 years or so. What's the one thing you want consumers to know about what you guys are doing as farmers? Well, uh, my husband also grows corn, like regular corn, soybeans, hay, and um, so forth. And I think, uh, you know, we're in the situation where this is my husband's family farm. His his grandparents purchased this farm. His parents grew, raised 10 kids here. So Alan grew up with all his siblings here. And it's, uh, you know, it's not 
like just running another type of business where you could like sell it or, you know, like the, the commitment to the farm is, you know, just really important for my husband and for a lot of people, you know, who, who grew up on a family farm. And so it, um, you know, I think a lot about it is just being able to keep it in the family, being able to keep it as a viable farm, making enough to live on um it's too small for us to just grow crops it's just you know it's we have like 120 acres to of tillable land it's just that's not even on the table to be able to just do that um so it's we love the visitors coming i love the creative part of it and we also love the fact that it it provides a farm lifestyle for our family um, and also for visitors to see, it's not a very modern farm, so they're not really seeing a modern farming operation, but they're seeing what, like our barns are like 1880s barns. You know, it's like, it's like your classic Wisconsin family farm from sure. ages ago. It's so it's, it's pretty that way, you know, and, and kind of a history, a step back in history too. We know that corn mazes and pumpkins go hand in hand and people can find both of those out at your farm. Can you give us kind of a sneak peek of what the pumpkin crop is going to look like this year? I know we haven't had a frost yet, so well, uh, how are things going? I, I, I think it's going to be, you know, it's, it is hard because you try to go out there and look, but I am literally like peering under vines going, oh, yeah, I see some. And, yeah, you know, we're picking a little bit. I think. I think they're going to be fine. I think we're going to have enough pumpkins. We've got 18 acres. So sometimes you have to walk a little further to like, you know, search, search for that perfect pumpkin. Um, but it is, it is, it's an anxiety I always have because pumpkins can be a little finicky about yes. the growth. And my husband's always like, ah, they're fine. Like, I don't know. I mean, I hope they are. And he's always like, well, you can't do anything about it at this exact moment, so stop worrying, which is true of a lot of farming things. Um, in, year, in some years, we have had to buy additional pumpkins just to make sure we've had enough selection. So there's, there's always a possibility that the neighbor, you know, down the road would be able to provide more pumpkins for us. But I think we're going to be okay. Well, that's good to hear. Well, AJ, before we let you go, why don't you tell us where your farm is located and how people can learn more about you? Yes, so the best place to start um, is our website, which is trininfarm.com. Um, so we got a lot of information on there, ticket info, hours, pictures, so you'll know what to expect. We do offer like bonfire areas and picnics and, um, you know, all kinds of things. Um, the We are located um, just west of Lodi, so we're about 20 miles north of Madison, uh, we are between Lodi and Prairie du Sac, Sauk City, on Highway 60. So we're pretty easy to reach. Um, we're on a pretty main highway. Um, you know, if you're driving from downtown Madison, it's 45 minutes. From far east or west side, it's about 25 minutes. Um, and then, you know, from north and west, and, um, it's easy. we're not far off the interstate, about nine miles off the interstate. So... Um, yeah, so lots of people will come on out and spend the day or spend the afternoon, and we've got a lot of activities that will keep everybody busy for quite some time. Well, Angie, thanks so much. That's Angie Trinan, one of the owners of Trinan Farm Corn Maze and Pumpkin Patch in Lodi, Wisconsin. Thanks so much for joining us here at Inside the Bullseye. We are so happy we can support local family farms just like yours. Great. It was wonderful to be here. It's so much fun to talk to you and I'm looking forward to the rest of the fall. Got all kinds of things going on. Lots of people coming out and uh, hopefully we'll have good weather. Yes, here's to good weather. 
And if you'd like to see some of the beautiful works of art that Angie and her family have created over the years, or you'd like directions to visit this year's corn maze, you can follow their story at trinanfarm.com or on Facebook at Trinan Farm Corn Maze and Pumpkin Patch. We have a link to those in the show notes, also on our social media page at Inside the Bullseye. And remember, fall is a great season to get out and support your local farmers. A simple Google search can find all kinds of family-friendly activities out on local farms near you. And if you find one that you and your family absolutely love, be sure to share it with us on social media. That way, others in your area can experience it as well. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope after listening, you feel just a little more connected to the people and places that have made it possible for you to bring all of your favorite products into your home every day. Inside the Bullseye is available for download right now. Just click subscribe wherever you consume your favorite podcasts and catch a new episode featuring a new guest every Thursday. Don't forget, be sure to join the conversation as well. We'd love to hear from you. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at Inside the Bullseye. You have questions, ask me. I'll get you the answer in a future episode. This episode of Inside the Bullseye wouldn't be possible without ABS Global. ABS is a bovine genetic company that's proud to partner with farmers in 70 countries all around the globe to produce nutritional animal proteins to feed the world. Thanks so much for joining us. In the meantime, be sure to thank a farmer.